Well, good morning. I am humbled and honored to be here this morning. And Jeff, thank you for the gracious invitation uh, to preach in your place today. Um, as Jeff mentioned, we uh, were in uh, the demon cohort together, and uh, we got paired up and had the unenviable task of critiquing one another's sermons. And so we had to listen to one another's sermons, probably some that he was teaching at his church and some that I was teaching at my church at the time, and um, uh, just let each other know what we thought and uh, what was good and what was bad, what we could do to improve. And uh, I remember telling Jeff, I said, Jeff, you are a very gifted expositor, man. You need to go be a senior pastor somewhere where you get to be the, the week in, week out expositor. Um, I think he was, you were an associate pastor at the time. And then not long after we completed our D-Men, I heard that he had taken this position up here uh, in Alaska. And so I have known of you from afar, never thought uh, we'd get up here to Alaska. It's a long way from Texas. But uh, you guys are bigger than us, though. I, I just realized that. Wow, there's somebody that is bigger. Tex- Texans think, you know, we're the biggest state in the, in the union, right? But they haven't been to Alaska. And uh, that's what I tell some Texans sometimes. They talk about Texas being the greatest state. You know, I'm like, you don't get out much, do you? Um, and uh, they haven't been to places like Alaska. But, um, and, and little did I ever think I'd be here standing uh, in the pulpit of uh, uh, Grace Church here. And so, uh, but ever since I've gotten here this morning, and I've been here early, we got to go to the elders meeting this morning. That was fun. And uh, you are, just know you are well shepherded, well cared for. Uh, just to f- feel very like-minded with your elders uh, and the pastors that shepherd you and care for your souls. And it was just a joy to uh, pray with them and, and just listen to them care for you uh, and love you uh, through their conversation and through their intercession uh, on your behalf. And so, uh, and just, we, we meet also in kind of a gymnasium like this, but yours looks a lot better than ours though. Um, and uh, and uh, we sing the same songs and uh, we're into guns, you know, and so, except the, the ladies, that's like next level, though, because we tell the guys, you know, to bring their guns to man camp, uh, but we've never asked the girls to bring their, but somebody told me that the, 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 the motto of Alaska is where the men are men and the women are too, is that true? Uh, that's what that's somebody told me at Texas. I was like, I'm not sure I'm going to lead with that because I'm not sure how well that would be received. But uh, when they when when Judy said the gun thing, I'm all in on that now. It's like the the women are too, right? So anyway, but another thing that we have in common is our commitment to expository preaching. And Jeff mentioned that, and it was such a joy to walk in and see that up on the wall in the foyer. One of your distinctives of this church is expository preaching. And I know that uh, for some of you, that is, that is one of the reasons, if not the main reason, why you come to this church. Because you love expository preaching. Why? Because your life has been and continues to be transformed as a result of sitting under the clear, accurate explanation and application of God's word. And you have high expectations for your preacher, as you should. And you expect Jeff to be faithful to his responsibility to diligently prepare and preach sermons that, that properly explain the text of Scripture and that are practically apply to your life. And in fact, many of you have such a high regard for Jeff's role that if, if you don't get anything out of the sermon, it's easy to think that it's his fault. Now, granted, there are times when even the best preachers uh, preach uh, bad sermons. I've preached my share of duds, trust me. Um, 
I, there's not a Sunday that I don't go home wishing I could have another crack at my sermon just to say it better, say it clearer, more practical. And that's when I just have to remind myself of what God said through the prophet Isaiah, that whenever his word goes forth, uh, it never returns void without accomplishing the purpose uh, of what God desires. But when you think about it, in one sense, all the effort that a preacher puts into preparing and delivering a sermon is useless if no one hears it and obeys it. And so the expository process really culminates and climaxes in the sermon being heard and obeyed and people's lives being changed. And so preaching is not just a a one-sided endeavor. It's it's really a joint venture between the preacher and the listener. And successful sermons that are profitable and life-changing result from the listener teaming up with the preacher, much like a catcher works in unison uh, with the pitcher. The, The one standing on the mound and the one squatting behind the plate both play a vital role in the pitching process. In the same way, the responsibility in preaching doesn't all rest on the one standing behind the pulpit. The one sitting out there in the audience also plays a significant role in the preaching process. And so in order for you to get something out of the sermon every Sunday, you as a listener must partner with your preacher so the word of God accomplishes its purpose of changing your life. And I think it's unfortunate that this powerful partnership between what I call the pulpit and the pew uh, has been virtually overlooked in the church today. For example, there are tons of books written Uh, to preachers about how to preach, but only a handful of books and articles have been written about, uh, or to listeners about how to, how to listen. Uh, We as preachers have lots of resources to train and equip us to become better preachers, but you as listeners have hardly any resources to train and equip you to become a better listener. And I think this blatant oversight is astounding when you consider the fact that that the number of listeners far exceeds the number of preachers. There are thousands of preachers, but there are literally billions of listeners. And what makes this even more ironic is that the Bible gives far more instruction about listening than it does about preaching. Now, we all know that God is very concerned how preachers preach. But based on the sheer number of references to hearing and listening to the Scriptures... Um, or, or, or in the pages of Scripture, we hear all the, uh, these references. God is obviously just as concerned, perhaps even more concerned, about how listeners listen. And, and when you do a simple Bible software search for the words ear, listen, and hear, it turns out an overwhelming number of passages and, 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 and verses. I mean, in the Gospels alone, 15 times, Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, what? Let him hear. In other words, you got ears? I I see you all got them. Uh, What are you doing with them? Pay attention. Listen up. Almost every book of the Bible contains some reference to listening and obeying God's word. And when when you look at all the biblical references on listening, it's hard to miss this inseparable relationship between listening and obeying. And in many verses and many passages, there's a clear connection made between listening and obeying. And so listening and obeying are like two sides of the same coin. They're, they're actually synonymous terms. And I think the implication is simply this, that in God's mind, hearing and obeying are one and the same. In other words, if you've heard a sermon, but you haven't obeyed a sermon, you actually haven't 
been listening well. Because it's all part of the package. J.I. Packer said it this way. He said, congregations never honor God more than by reverently listening to his word with full purpose of praising and obeying him once they see what he has done and is doing and what they're called to do. And so from the very first Sunday that I began preaching sermons to the congregation that I have the joy of shepherding in, in Texas, I have sought to help them honor God by honoring his word. And by the way, those things are inseparable too. Uh, In Titus chapter 2, Paul instructed us how we should live so that the word of God would not be dishonored and people would have nothing nothing bad to say about us because our lives uh, adorn the doctrine of God. In other words, our, our lives make God and his word look either good or bad. Nothing brings greater reproach on God than than when those who profess to know him don't live according to the principles of God's word. And it causes people to conclude this, that hey, if if going to to church and hearing all those sermons and going to all those Bible studies and all those retreats and and hearing the preaching of God's word, if that's that's the result, I don't don't need anything, I I don't want anything to do with the Bible. But when others perceive that hearing and putting into practice biblical preaching has had a life-changing impact on your life, then it will pique their interest and give you an opportunity to share with them the truth of God's word and how they too can honor God with their life. And so we need to realize that the reputation of God and his word are at stake when it comes to our response to the word of God, which, which, which should be all the incentive we need to carefully listen to and live out every sermon that we hear so that our life accurately reflects what the Bible teaches. Now, this may be a sermon unlike any sermon you've ever heard before. It's, it's a sermon about how to listen to a sermon. And frankly, we don't talk about this today Um, this may be the first time you ever even thought about this concept, let alone heard anybody preach about it. But the Puritans uh, talked about this all the time. In fact, in a conclusion, uh, in the conclusion to a Sunday morning sermon um, entitled Sanctifying the Name of God and Hearing the Word, Puritan pastor Jeremiah Burroughs gave this exhortation to his congregation. Okay. And, and get past the old English and, and to, to hear what he's saying here. It's so good. He says, I beseech you, brethren, in the name of Jesus Christ this morning, that you who are hearers of the word would glorify the word and glorify the name of God in the word. Oh, that not one of you would be a disgrace or a shame to the word of God. You should rather think thusly, it would be better for me that I should die and that I were under the ground and rotting there than that the word of God should ever be disgraced by me. He says, if if you've ever gotten any good by the word, you should go away with this resolution. I will labor all the days of my life to honor this word of God that I have gotten so much good by. And then he said this, he said, if this were but the resolution of every one of your hearts this morning, it would be a blessed morning's work. And I would say the same, that if this is the resolution of every one of your hearts this morning when you leave here today, then I too would consider this to be a blessed morning's work. 
So what I'd like to do is just give you a, a, just a brief overview of this subject of expository listening, kind of a, a, a teaser, if you will, or a trailer, right, that makes you want to go watch the movie, makes you want to go read the book. So this is how I want to frame our thoughts this morning, that, that in order to experience maximum life change from the sermons that you hear every week and ensure that God and his word are honored and glorified through your life, you must be mindful of and faithful to four responsibilities whenever you listen to God's word preached. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, four responsibilities that you must be mindful of and faithful to whenever you listen to God's word preached. Let me give you these four responsibilities right up front in case I lose you somewhere along the way. At least you'll have them down. Number one is appreciation. You must understand the gravity of hearing God's word preached. Number two is anticipation. You must prepare your heart before hearing God's word preached. Number three is attention. You must exercise discernment while hearing God's word preached. And then number four is application. You must obey after hearing God's word preached. Now, I know you didn't get them all down right there, but just... Hang on, we'll, we'll look at these one at a time. So let's begin, uh, first of all, with appreciation. You must understand the gravity of hearing God's word preached. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and here we find um, Paul, Paul's famous last words to his young protege, Timothy, And it shows us here how the importance of listening is ultimately based on the importance of preaching. Notice 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, a familiar text, I'm sure, to you. Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their, what? Ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their, what? Ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. A right understanding of how to properly listen to God's word begins with and flows out of a right understanding of how God's word is to be properly preached. So before addressing the subject of biblical listening, you have to address the subject of biblical preaching. And this is the classic text in God's word on the true nature of biblical preaching, that we are to preach the word, which is the inspired, authoritative, all-sufficient word that Paul describes in 2 Timothy 3, in the previous chapter, verses 15 to 17. And that word preached there, uh, keruxon, literally means to proclaim as a herald. In other words, a, a herald would speak on behalf of the king. He would tell people what the king said. And so biblical preaching is when the preacher tells the people what God has said in his word. And and, and it's when the Bible is the sole source and subject of every sermon. In other words, what the preacher says comes directly from a verse or passage in the Bible. And the meaning of that verse or that passage is literally explained in its historical and grammatical context and then principalized into some timeless truth that relates to people's lives today. And this method of preaching is referred to as biblical exposition, or what you know to be as expository preaching. Wayne Grudem, in his helpful um, 
systematic theology, Bible doctrine, said this about expository preaching. He says, throughout the history of the church, the greatest preachers have been those who have seen their task as being to explain the words of Scripture and who, who have, uh, excuse me, explain the words of Scripture and apply them clearly to the lives of their hearers. Essentially, they stood in the pulpit, pointed to the biblical text, and said in effect to the congregation, this is what this verse means. Do you see that meaning here as well? Then you must believe it and obey it with all your heart, for God himself, your creator and your Lord, is saying this to you today. End quote. And I think in that last sentence, Grudem puts his finger on the profound gravity of hearing God's word preached. He said, God himself is saying this to you. In other words, whenever a a preacher faithfully explains the Bible, it is God talking, not the preacher. You're not just hearing the words of the preacher, but you're actually hearing the words of God. And, And this was the conviction of faithful preachers in the Bible. Jeremiah said when he was called by God uh, to be a prophet, he said that God told him, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Peter in 1 Peter 4.11 says, whoever speaks is to do as one who is speaking the very utterances of God. This was also the conviction of faithful preachers throughout church history. John Calvin said, pastors are the very mouthpieces of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way, in faithful exposition of the word, God himself is preaching. And if a man is giving a true exposition of scripture, God is speaking because it is God's word and not the word of men. And then I love how John Stott put it. He just remarked one time that in true biblical preaching, the voice of the preacher is ultimately drowned out by the voice of God. And so we need to understand this supernatural dynamic of biblical exposition that when a man is faithfully preaching the word of God, it's actually the voice of God being heard. And that in and of itself should cause us to pay careful attention to every sermon that we hear. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, just a few pages back from 2 Timothy. Don't lose your place in 2 Timothy because we're going to come back there. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 Paul was commending the Thessalonians, and he says this, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. The Spirit of God had used Paul's preaching of the word to transform the lives of these idol-worshiping pagans. Why? Because they had welcomed the word with open arms and appreciated and accepted his preaching for what it really was. And sadly, there's an increasing lack of appreciation for biblical preaching in the church today. There's not as many Thessalonian-like believers out there. Not only does the average churchgoer these days no longer appreciate biblical preaching, they won't even tolerate biblical preaching. Which should come as no surprise in light of the warning that Paul gave to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. But I think we are living in that day that Paul prophesied of, where the majority of churchgoers want preachers to tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And if given a choice, most people today prefer listening to light, entertaining pep talks from the pulpit if there even is a pulpit filled with 
jokes and stories rather than deep, challenging, doctrinal sermons that, that are filled with practical implications for your life. And if they feel like the preacher is stepping on their toes, making them feel uncomfortable, then they either run him out of the church, which is often the case, or they just go find another church down the road that tickles their fancy and makes them feel good about themselves. But there's a, there's a profound principle here, I think taught in 2 Timothy chapter 4, that could be very easily overlooked. And it's this, that this passage is not only about how to preach, it's also about how to listen. And while the emphasis is clearly on the preacher's responsibility here, the listener's responsibility is clearly implied. And I think the warning that Paul gave Timothy that he would stand before God someday and give an account of how he preached the word also applies to all those who listen to the word preached. And at the Bema seat, I believe the listeners will stand alongside the preachers and be held accountable for the part that they played in the preaching of God's word. And while the preachers are being evaluated and rewarded based on their biblical responsibility to to faithfully explain and exhort the word, the, the listeners will be evaluated and rewarded based on their biblical responsibility to carefully hear and heed the word. And again, the Puritans talked about this all the time. They frequently exhorted their congregations to listen to their sermons in light of this looming liability. Richard Baxter is one example. He said this to his congregation one one Sunday. He said, remember that all these sermons must be reviewed and you must answer for all that you've heard, whether you heard it with diligent attention or with carelessness and the word which you hear shall judge you at the last day. Hear therefore as those who are going to judgment to give an account of their hearing and obeying. Wow, we don't talk like that. We don't hear that much these days, do we? Thomas Watson said it this way, you must give an account for every sermon you hear. The judge to whom we must give an account is God. How should we observe every word preached, remembering the account? He said, let all this make us shake off distraction and drowsiness in hearing and have our ears chained to the word. Hopefully that woke up some of you this morning, right? Because I know we all get drowsy uh, on Sunday mornings, right? We've all fallen asleep in church at some point. But he says this should, this, should, this should wake us up, this responsibility that we have to, to listen to God's word. And so whenever you sit under the preaching of God's word, what should be at the forefront of your mind is that day when you will be evaluated and you'll be rewarded based on how receptive and responsive you were to the preached word. And so again, I think this, it all starts with, with understanding the gravity of hearing God's word preached. And that's the overarching Uh, responsibility or principle. But let's look at these uh, remaining three uh, uh, responsibilities, which which have, uh, uh, they they go in order. There's something that you are responsible to do before you get to church. There's something that you're responsible to do while you're sitting here in church. And there's something that you're responsible to do after you leave church. So let's look at number two, anticipation. You must prepare your heart before hearing God's word preached. Turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, here we have that famous parable of the soils, which I assume you're familiar with, so we won't take the time to read uh, the parable in its entirety. But I think this very well-known parable provides a crucial insight regarding the listener's responsibility in preaching. And, And the entire parable 
uh, is, is about hearing and obeying the preaching of God's word. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 8. It says, as Jesus said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then look at how this uh, parable culminates in verse 18. So take care how you listen. And then verse 21 says, but he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. And so the overall lesson here of the parable is listening to God's word preached has actually more to do not with our ears as so much as it has to do with our hearts. And as you know, Jesus used four kinds of soil here to illustrate four kinds of hearts on which the preached word falls or lands. There's the road soil, which represents those that have a stubborn, unreceptive heart. There's the rocky soil, those representing those who have a shallow, superficial heart. There, there's the thorny soil, which represents those that have a worldly, strangled heart. And then there's the good soil that represents a soft, receptive heart in which the word lands and it produces all this fruit. So the point is simply this. How you respond to God's word depends on the condition of your heart. You're all hearing the same exact sermon from the same exact preacher, but you're not all going to respond in the same exact way. Why is that? Well, it'll all depend on the condition of your heart. And at times, uh, our hearts may become hardened to the word. Hebrews 3 talks about that. And in order for the seed of God's word to plant itself deep in our hearts so it flourishes, so it produces fruit, the soil of our heart must be properly prepared. And, and the, the prophet Jeremiah talks about um, harrowing up, the, breaking up the fallow, the fallow ground. Now, the fallow ground is the ground that maybe has been plowed, um, but it hasn't, been, it hasn't been softened, right? And there's just big clods and big chunks of dirt, and it's not ready to be, to be planted, um, we, we grew up in Massachusetts and we had a big garden that was literally the size of this uh, auditorium. And that's why I hate gardening to this day because I was a slave labor uh, in that garden. And, uh, and, but anyway, so my dad, the garden was so big he would get the, 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 the neighbor farmer uh, to come in with his tractor and plow and plow up the garden. And I remember distinctly after he did that, there was these big, deep furrows and these big clods of dirt. Now, my dad didn't go out there and start planting the seed then. He had the farmer go hook up the harrow, and he brought the harrow through, and he dissed all up that dirt, got it all nice and smooth and, and, and broken down. And then my dad would actually come in with his gravely and make it even smoother, and then we would plant the seed and typically have a great garden. C.H. Spurgeon said it well. He said, we are told men ought not to preach without preparation. Granted, but we add, men ought not to hear without preparation. Which do you think needs the most preparation, the sower or the ground? I would have the sower come with clean hands, but I would have the ground well plowed and harrowed, well turned over, and the clods broken before the seed comes in. It seems to me, he says, that there is more preparation needed by the ground than by the sower, more by the hearer than by the preacher. You know what Jeff does most of the week, right? Because you work more than one day a week, right? 
Is that a joke up here? Like it says, you know, oh, you just work one day a week. You're a pastor, right? Um, Well, you know what Jeff's doing all week. He's preparing, right, to preach God's word to you. The question is, what are you doing all week? Are you preparing your heart to hear the preaching of God's word? Because you see, the most well-crafted sermons will fail to change your life if they're not received by well-cultivated hearts. And so we need to learn how to harrow up our heart so it's ready to receive God's word. In fact, I have a whole chapter in the book, uh, I think it's chapter three, called Harrowing Your Heart. And I list 10 practical ways that you can prepare your heart uh, to hear the preaching of God's word. I'll just give you one uh, by way of example. Um, Plan ahead. Plan ahead. What's What's the principle, right? Sunday morning starts Saturday night. And uh, because we don't live by that principle, typically uh, Sunday morning becomes this chaotic uh, experience, right? Where we're waking up and we're running around trying to figure out what we're going to wear. And, oh, that doesn't look good. I got to try this on again. And so you're trying to fit your outfit up and you're trying to get the kids fed. And uh, you're trying to pack the diaper bag and you're trying to put everything in the car. And the guy's, you know, honking, you know, in the car because his wife's late, you know, and the kids are fighting in the backseat. And you all get in the car and you're it's chaos in the car, and you drive into the parking lot, and then that's when the parking lot miracle takes place, right? Because you open up the doors, and somebody says, hey, how you doing? Oh, we're doing great, brother. Thank you. <laughs> well, all you've been doing is knitting at each other all morning, right? And your heart is no, you just come in here flustered, and you sit down, and your heart's not ready. So plan ahead and, and think ahead. I'm going to put out my outfit for the, the, the night before. I'm going to pack that diaper bag. I'm going to put the stroller in the car. I'm going to, you know, make sure there's gas in the minivan or whatever you got to do, right? But just to have everything done so that Sunday morning doesn't have to turn into this, this scramble uh, to get to church. And so we, not, we need to prepare our hearts before hearing God's word preached. And number three is attention, is attention. You must exercise discernment while hearing God's word preached. And I think one of the most critical challenges for you as a listener is to learn to listen with a discerning ear. God holds you responsible to determine whether or not what you're hearing preached is accurate. You shouldn't just accept it because Jeff says it or because I say it. But you need to make sure that what we say is what God has said. And so you must compare everything you hear with Scripture, like the Bereans in Acts 17, 11, who Paul said, or Luke was the one writing this, he said they were, the Bereans were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. I think some would maybe condemn the Bereans in our day for being critical, judgmental nitpickers. But Luke commended them for wanting to make sure that what Paul was saying matched up with the truth of God's word. And if the Bereans were screening the apostle Paul, who was speaking and writing under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how much more should we screen the preaching that we listen to today? We are living in a generation that is being exposed to more religious information than any other generation in the history of the church. And the quantity and the variety of false teaching within the church is truly astounding. And yet it seems that fewer and fewer Christians uh, have the desire or the ability to distinguish truth from error, which isn't a new problem, by the way. Look at Hebrews chapter chapter 5 quickly with me. Hebrews chapter 5 
verses 11 through 14, and the writer of Hebrews is essentially scolding his readers here because he had so much more he wanted to teach them, but he knew they weren't ready for it. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, concerning him, Melchizedek, we have so much to say, and it is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's an infant, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So the writer of Hebrews was confronting his readers for their lack of discernment. And their problem was, he says, they, be, they had become dull of hearing. They'd become lazy listeners who were unable to digest the deep truths of the Bible. And like babies, they were only capable of consuming the milk of the word, even though they had been Christians long enough to, be, to have graduated. They should have graduated eating, eating solid food. And, and, and we know this, that mature believers are able to eat and digest the prime rib principles of God's word. And as we feed on the meat of the word, we develop a more thorough working knowledge of the scriptures, which causes us to grow in our ability to distinguish truth from error. And we won't be like the baby, right, any longer, who just crawls around the floor picking up anything they see, putting it in their mouth because they don't know the difference. Perhaps the clearest, most straightforward explanation of, of discernment in the Bible is found in Paul's letter to uh, the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says this, examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, and abstain from every form of evil. In other words, we need to train ourselves to examine everything we read and hear in light of the scriptures and receive what is true and reject what is false. Jesus said in Matthew 7.15, beware of the false Prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, literally shepherd's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. The appearance of false teachers is deceiving because they disguise themselves as true shepherds, as pastors, as elders, as leaders in the church. If a hungry, ferocious wolf jumps over the fence into a flock of of sheep, all of them will notice immediately and, and scatter. But if he walks through the gate impersonating a shepherd, it's going to be a lot harder for the sheep to tell it's a wolf just by looking at him. I mean, how do you know if I'm a true shepherd or a wolf this morning? I mean, I look just like Jeff. Like, literally, we didn't even plan this. We kind of look like each other. Um, But the point is, I, I look like a preacher. I look like the other guys that get up here. So what would distinguish me as a true shepherd as opposed to a false shepherd. Well, the only way that you can discern whether I'm a true shepherd or a wolf is by listening to my voice. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 10. You can turn back there with me. John chapter 10 in this uh, familiar section about the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 2 Jesus said, he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. 
A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. So as one of Christ's sheep, you need to have your ears trained to differentiate between the voice of a shepherd and the voice of a stranger so you know who to flee from and who to follow. So you must exercise discernment while hearing God's word preached. And then fourthly and finally is application. Application. You must obey after hearing God's word preached. And, and I think application is probably the most neglected, most difficult aspect of the listening process. The hardest thing uh, or the hardest part of listening to a sermon is doing something about what you hear. In fact, I've gotten into the habit with uh, the folks at our church, at Lakeside Bible Church, that they'll come out and they'll say, oh, pastor, that was a great sermon. Thank you. And, and typically I'll say to them, uh, so what are you going to do about it? So I don't get as many people coming up and telling me how good of a sermon it was because they know I'm going to give them that line. But it's, I'm saying that tongue in cheek. I appreciate their affirmation, uh, their appreciation. But I also want to just remind them, hey, I didn't just preach that sermon so you could come give me an attaboy. Uh, I want you to, I want your life to change. That's what God wants, right? And so what are you going to do about it? Uh, I think too many of us are like the, the people of Israel described by the Lord through the pen of the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 33, this is a section in your Bibles where the pages stick together, right? Because you're not there very often. But this is an interesting verse, Ezekiel 33, verse 30. This is what God said to Ezekiel, but as for you, son of man, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways of the houses speak to one another, each to his brother saying, come now and hear what the message is which comes forth from the Lord. And they come to you as people come and they sit before you as my people and hear your words, but they do not do them for they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth and their heart goes after their gain. Behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument for they hear your words, but they do not practice them. So evidently, Ezekiel was a very captivating preacher. And all the Israelites would flock to hear him preach because they were intrigued. They were impressed by his sermons, but they never obeyed a single one. They went in in one ear and out the other. And they merely wanted to be entertained. And so they had no intention of ever putting into practice what they heard. I'm sure you're familiar with the expression, practice what you preach. And those of you sitting out there, count on the one standing up here to live out what we say. Because nothing is more hypocritical and dishonoring to God than when the preacher doesn't do what he tells the people to do, right? But at the same time, I think it's just as hypocritical, just as dishonoring to God when the congregation doesn't do what the preacher tells them to do. You have every right to expect me to practice what I preach, but guess what? I have every right to expect you to practice what I preach too. Or to practice what you hear, maybe is a better way to say it. Thomas Watson said this. He said, if you would hear the word aright, practice what you hear. Hearing only will be no plea at the day of judgment merely to say, Lord, I have heard many sermons. God will say, what fruits of obedience have you brought forth? The word preached is not only to inform you, but reform you. If you hear the word and you are not bettered by it, your hearing will increase your condemnation. He says, we pity such as know not where to hear. It will be worse with such as care, not how they hear. In other words, it's easy to say, well, those people, they don't understand the importance of biblical preaching, and that's why they go to that church. But we're at the church that preaches the Bible, right? It's easy to do that. 
but it's going to be worse for those who care not how they hear. To graceless, disobedient hearers, every sermon will be a stick to heat hell. It is sad to go to hell loaded with ordinances. Obey the Spirit to make the word preached effectual. And like I mentioned earlier, at the end of your life, you will stand before God and give an account of every sermon you've heard. And I think that's why it's so vital that you diligently seek to put what you hear into practice and thus proving yourself to be a doer of the word and not merely a hearer of the word who deceives yourself. That's what James said in James chapter 1, verse 19. Familiar passage. Uh, And he really tells us the two ways that we're to react to God's word. Number one, we're to be receptive. He says, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In other words, don't argue with the preacher, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness, which, by the way, is the word for earwax in the Greek, putting aside all filthiness, clean your ears out, and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So receive the preaching of God's word with a teachable, pure, humble, hospitable, sober heart, but then be responsive. Notice verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. In other words, stop auditing church. Stop auditing the sermons. Uh, I don't know about you, my favorite classes in in college were the ones I got to audit. Where I I got all the information... I, got, I took a lot of great notes, and everyone around me was freaking out because they were feeling all the pressure of the, of the quizzes and the tests and the finals and the, the essay, and, and I didn't have any of that. I was just sitting there taking all the, the information. I had nothing to do about it. I didn't have to do anything about it. I think too many people audit sermons, even some of the best note takers, which is, by the way, is a great listening technique, uh, is to take notes. It makes you a better listener, and it helps you take home something that you can work on in, in applying, Right? But, but don't just think I'm taking a bunch of notes and that somehow makes me a good hearer. Well, if you don't do anything with those notes, right, after the fact, um, then you might as well not take it to begin with. You're just auditing the class. But notice the illustration that, that uh, James used here, verse 23. He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. What is the person, purpose of a mirror? It's to show us what needs to change, what needs to get fixed, right? And I know all of you looked into a mirror this morning because you all look really good. And you, 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 you knew you had to maybe fix your hair or uh, put on some makeup or maybe you needed to shave or, or you needed to change your clothes or you had a wrinkle or you had to cinch your tie up a certain way, or, but you needed a mirror to do all that. Well, what does he say here? If you come to church and the preacher holds up the mirror of God's word, right, and he says, hey, look, this is, this is what needs to change in your life. And you're like, oh, yeah, I do see that. But then you walk out of here and forget about it. Well, you're a forgetful here. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful here, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So instead of being a forgetful hearer, we need to become effectual doers who look intently into God's word and carefully examine those areas in our life that, that, that it shows we need to change. And, and so I would just suggest to you that there's, there's just, just one question you should ask yourself after every sermon you hear. 
whether it's here at church or maybe on a podcast or on the radio or however you listen to sermons, always ask yourself, as soon as the sermon's over, is okay, how, what, what is one way that my life should change as a result of what I just heard? Is it something that I, I need to change the way I think, the way I believe, the way I'm acting, the way I'm living, decisions I'm making or not making? But just ask yourself, what is one thing I can do as a result of what I just heard? And when you seek to be a doer of the word, the Bible says you're going to be blessed. God promises that you will be blessed. Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it which I think is one of the most basic principles in all of God's word. God blesses those who don't just hear his word, but do it. And we'll look at one more passage and we'll be done. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Um, this is that classic story of the wise man and the foolish man. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on that rock. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. Listen, it is no coincidence that this was the closing illustration of the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. This is Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount challenging those who have just listened to the Sermon on the Mount to put into practice everything they just heard. And this is a solemn warning, I think, that our entire lives and even our eternal destiny on some level is based on how receptive and responsive we are to God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing what? By the word of Christ or by the word of God. And so in the end, it, it will all come down to what we did or didn't do with what God has said in his word. And so, beloved, listen, listen to every sermon in light of eternity because every sermon is truly a matter of life and death. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We've been able to look at this uh, often uh, overlooked subject of listening, but I pray that this uh, sermon would stimulate uh, this uh, body of believers, um, stir them up by way of reminder about their responsibility that they have. It's not all on Jeff or whoever else exposits your word, but they have an equal part to play uh, in getting something out of the sermon and having their lives transformed uh, by the preaching of your word, which was your intent to begin with. And so, Lord, I pray you'd continue to bless Jeff as he faithfully teaches your word every week and bless these hearers, this congregation, as they listen to the word preached every week, that uh, they would grow and change and become more conformed to the image of Christ and be a bright light in this community for Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.